What's up, podcast listener? If you're sitting at your desk or riding in your car, know that today you're joining a family of basketball professionals who are trying to change other people's lives through the game that changed theirs. This podcast is going to take you along the journey of basketball entrepreneurs and how they make a living from the game that they love. If I say anything, anything that gives you value in this episode, please go to iTunes and leave me a top five, top five, top five review. And now let's get to the show. Hey, thanks for checking out this B2B podcast. You will not want to miss this episode if you are interested in the online marketing side of the basketball training industry. Jesse Minch, the founder of Get Handles Basketball, is your guy. He's one of those do-it-yourselfers. He learns how to do the websites. He learns how to do the marketing, the copywriting, everything. And he's a massive following of over 221,000 YouTube subscribers and about 27 million views on YouTube, doing about 95% of all these things by himself. So if that's something that you are interested in, then you do not want to miss this episode. So let's get right into it. Hey, everybody. I have with me Coach Jesse Minch. Is Snake okay nickname for you? Yeah, man, whatever, whatever you want to do, everyone kind of does a little bit something different. But yeah, either one, whatever you want to call, call me, it's cool. Nice. Where did that come from? Why Snake? Well, basically, it's just from playing a lot of basketball, and I would go to the court a lot. And this one kid thought I looked like a snake the way I played, and just kind of stuck from there. And, you know, back in the, like, and one street ball days, that was, like, the big thing, and everyone had, like, a nickname. So I just kind of rolled with that, like, when I started doing videos on YouTube and stuff like that. So it just kind of... What from there? Nice, nice. So right now, man, you're sitting pretty nicely. You have a program out. You had a dope ad. And just the entire funnel, I was a big fan of it, and I opted in for it myself. But I want to go back to the beginning. Can you tell me where you were in about 2006? You posted your first video. YouTube just came out a year beforehand. What were you doing, and what made you start posting? At that time, I think I was... I believe I was in college at the time. Wasn't playing college basketball. Just really got in basketball hardcore because of the N1 mixtape tour, the Nike freestyle commercials. And just I was really into playing pickup basketball at the time. So I was into like all aspects fundamentally and all that. And the big thing though with the more the streetball side of things is there was like all these internet forums and people would post videos and they would try to get respect for their mixtape moves and all that stuff. So I kind of hopped onto that uh, tangent and people like my videos and I started rolling with that and then I saw some people killing it with doing tutorials I'm like man I can make a video as good as these guys so I started making some tutorial videos and those took off even more so that's how things progressed from there and next thing you know here we are today and your first video got like what 13,000 views or 16,000 views I don't even know man I'd have to look I haven't looked in a long time I know videos got a fair amount of views and I think they got more now because people go back sometimes and watch like my oldest videos but I had a couple ones that really hit big and, and again those are like more like the tutorial type videos that's fine more of an audience I mean like the more highlight reel mixtapes and stuff that I was doing they got a fair, fair amount of hits but the tutorials were really got a big impression Hey, yo, you were at the, the skating park, right? For the very first video. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was like the big thing back then. People would do, you know, their freestyle mixtapes. And it was like the thing to like, you don't do it in a gym. You find a cool location. I'll make all these cool video edits and show like these crazy new moves people haven't seen before. And that's kind of like how I started to get my name because I was coming up with a lot of original tricks that I made up on my own. So no one else was like seeing them before. And that's kind of, you know, 
what got my name out there on the freestyle end of things, street ball end of things back then. Nice. So were there any any roadblocks, man? Did you just buy a tripod, you hooked it up, you press record and started going at it? Or what was the process of putting those videos up? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely a learning curve. I actually had to take out, I was in college at the time, and I had to ask my dad to take out a student loan because back then to do a video editing, you needed a nice computer or at least a pretty decent one. So I, my dad actually helped me take out another student loan so I could get a computer to edit my videos and made things a lot easier. But even then, like compared to now, like video editing, I would spend three, four or five hours just editing one video big roadblocks back then but besides that I mean learning how to edit learning how to film you know and coming up with you know good angles and effects all that stuff for those types of videos was definitely a roadblock then you know trying to take it more into the business side of things I would say is the biggest roadblock is just not knowing what to do not knowing what you don't know I mean there's so many strategies and things you can do to help you know on that end of things so I mean what, what kept you I, I talked to Colin Colin's a, a friend of mine and he helps me out a lot. And he, he says it takes about two years to even think about monetizing videos on YouTube. What kept you, first off, how many times were you posting for a week and why were you consistent? At first, I was just kind of posting when I, when I had time, when I felt like it's to some degree. And just when I felt like I had something good to put out there when I got started. Because again, at, the, at that time, it was more like, it was more almost like more like art when you're making, you know, street bomb mixtapes and freestyle videos. It was almost more like art. What when I started transitioning into doing more tutorials, I was doing a fair amount of them and I was still kind of inconsistent. I would say once a month, maybe more, maybe less, just depending on the month. And someone actually hit me up on the comments on YouTube and said, look, I'm on YouTube for you. He's like, are you going to take this seriously or not? And he kind of almost like gave me like a, the motivation and the wake up call. Like, look, there's people that want to see your stuff. Give us more. So from there, I started trying to do more about like once a week and it takes time to get traction. It definitely does. I mean, I was on YouTube, like, again, those first two years is just for me, like, doing more, like, highlight. Man, you got to figure it's almost like another two years of doing it more on, like, I'm a coach now. I'm teaching you. I'm going to, you know, show you guys what I know and what I have to offer and putting that out consistently. And I would say, yeah, about two years of just getting your name out there, getting the trust and all that definitely helps. I mean, sit here and say you couldn't just jump right into trying to monetize it, but it definitely makes the process a lot quicker and easier. I think if you kind of build people's trust and they know you for a while and they say, okay, this guy has been out for a while and I've seen his videos and he helped me. And you know, then when you try to say, okay, Hey, look, I got a people. He's helped me this far. Why not the program? Right. So how do you say build trust? How do you know you've done that? Is it by a certain amount of engagement consistently or what's the metric for trust? Yeah. I think for me, I would say like one of the big things I look at is like, you know, I probably would have either made a major change or just said, hey, maybe this isn't for me if my like to dislike ratio wasn't there. Like more views. I, I said to myself, well, you know, there's going to be people, no matter what you do, there's going to be people that aren't, just aren't going to like what you do. But, you know, a pretty good indicator is if like the people are searching for what you have or it pops up in the related field and you're getting a good like to dislike ratio, that means like, okay, what you're doing is, is probably legit. You know, it kind of vindicates what you're doing by mass audience. So right now I'm hitting at like 97% like to dislike ratio. So it's like, okay, two or 3% of the people that don't like it, but overall the people that are checking out the video sort of value out of it. And I feel like, you know, if you time that you have people's trust. Nice. Nice. So what, 
Man, how many trainers have you seen come and go that were actually, you know, good at the YouTube game, but just stop? I've seen a couple of guys that happen. I think a lot of have issues with like copyright or doing, you know, using either NBA footage or using copyrighted music. Like I've actually been going back to my old videos and updating some of the old ones and putting new music on them just to get them back out there. But is that they don't, I don't feel like they don't wait long enough to, you know, continue to make videos and they just don't have the patience or maybe they have issues with trying to optimize, you know, their videos or give the audience what they want to see. And some guys that have quality and all that, but you know, there's usually like certain pieces that are just missing. And it seems like they bought a fair amount of them drop out because they don't have like the whole package kind of brought together. And it, it, that's, I feel like the hard thing is to try to get all those pieces there of giving the audience what their videos, getting a consistent, you know, upload schedule, all that stuff, some work and some consistency and patience. I know all of it's important combined, but would you say the quality of content and good audio trumps the consistency or trumps the, the content or the quality, the content more important, or is it like the features, the, the effects? Yeah, I would overall, I'd say quality, definitely quality. You know, I've been doing this for, or I don't know, about six years or so now. And I've tried a little bit of everything. i you know, there was a period where about two years ago where I was just I was hearing, oh, you got to put out lots of content, put out lots of content. And so that's what I was doing, but the quality kind of started slipping. So this last year or two, I said, you know what, I'm going to clamp down and I'm, you know, I, I don't even like the videos I'm putting out that much. So like, that's a problem. Like if I don't, if I'm getting bored with the videos and I feel like they're getting stale and the, the format's just too, that's a problem. Myself is, look, I got to be up and I've noticed a huge growth, audience engagement, comments are up, subscribers have shot through the roof in the last like the other day I got almost like a thousand subscribers a day. Like I, the only other time I had that happen is when Yahoo put me on the front page. And so, I mean, things are going through the roof right now. And it's because I've been saying, Hey, look, I'm only going to do two, maybe three videos a week versus four or five videos a week. And I'm just going to make sure they're really, really well done. A big impact. So what would you say, did you have any kind of limiting beliefs with doing this whole thing? Like, I don't know, nobody wants, were you about to quit at one point? You know, what kept you going? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, getting I had I had finally got like to me like this might sound weird to people, but to, to me I'd always had like physical labor jobs, and to get an office job to me was like oh sweet, you know I can kind of be more on the computer and do more marketing stuff. So I'd gotten this marketing job nine to five. I was like, well maybe this will be it for me, you know I'll stick with this now. And kind of thinking about quitting doing YouTube around that time because I was like, well this job's pretty decent, the pay is good, all that, and I'm doing something I kind of like. I think you, anyone can say that it's worth the nine to five. There's always something that happens in your nine to five sooner or later that makes you kind of not want to be there anymore. And I'm kind of glad that happened to me. And as I was working there, though, I was still kind of continuing with doing the online videos and the YouTube and all that, mainly just because I enjoyed it. I was definitely thinking about quitting it while I had that nine to five. And I'm glad I stuck with it. And I would say it was kind of not liking some things that were happening at the nine to five, but also again, the passion for basketball teaching, doing the videos. I liked it. Also that I'd say was like one of the main things that made me push through it. So tell me about a typical day when you go to the nine to five and you record, do you wake up before go after work when the gym is empty? How do you do that? Yeah. So when I was doing the nine to five, the majority of my stuff, I actually was filming at outdoor courts. A lot of times I would just go 
and film a lot of stuff during the summer at the outdoor courts because in Wisconsin here it gets cold in the winter. You're not going to film outside very well. So I would after work or on a weekend, whenever I had free time. And then same with like editing. And like, man, my schedule was rough. I had a 45 minute drive to work would work like a nine, 10 hour day, 45 minute drive back. So that would leave me like with two, three hours to do anything when I get home. Spend that, you know, working on marketing, working on videos, replying to comments, putting the videos out there on Facebook. So it was basically work, come home, kind of watch TV while I'm working on the laptop and sleep. And that was it. But it was, you know, I can tell you right now it was worth it, but what you're doing, that's not going to happen, right? I mean, you got to really love basketball and love training players and wanting to try to make them better. That part just doesn't happen. I guess you were not too far removed from college, so I guess you don't have as many responsibilities here. But tell me, when did you actually leave the job to do this full time if you left the job? Oh, yeah. So, gosh, that was like three or four years ago. Funny story on that, actually. I was just offered a promotion. Right as I, I had got this business coach that was helping me try to learn how to market my programs better online and basically build an email list and, and get people trying to check out my programs and a better way of promoting them so people would see the value in them. When he showed me what he was going to have me do, the strategy, I was like, okay, this is going to work. Like, you know, when you, someone tells you something and it makes total sense, you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, this makes sense. This will work. I hadn't made a dime doing what this guy told me what he wanted me to do yet. But I was starting to implement some of the pieces and was ready to launch in about a month. And my boss offered me this promotion. And I said, look, I think I'm going to be quitting my job, so I can't take this promotion. And I didn't even know if I was going to be able to succeed with this new business. And lucky for me, I launched two weeks later. So yeah, it was about two weeks. And he asked, look, I'm just going to have to put my two weeks in. And lucky for me, my launch went really, really well for my program. And that's when I quit. So it was like well, two, three years, at least three years ago, I'd say. And so, yeah, ever since then, this has been my full-time nine to five. And man, I can tell you right now, again, that extra time after work was so worth it. I mean, life is good. <laughs> I can't imagine. Like, I know Gary Vee talks about 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. I'm a big fan of his, but that's interesting. You prematurely quit yeah. then. Like, you didn't have anything guaranteed. How many months did you have saved up of, like, your expenses to live? I had like maybe two, 3,000 in the bank. I mean, I still owe a lot of my student loans and all that. So that's like sucking all my money out. I think my parents, when I told them what I was doing, they thought I was a little bit crazy. And, you know, I even, I was like, man, this better work or I'm going to have to go work at McDonald's or something, you know? I didn't know what was going to happen, but it worked. So that's all I can say is thank you. I know, right? Hey, that's that's really funny. I We actually have some, well, no, not yet, but similar stories in terms of leaving. Cause I, I just left mine and, you know, didn't have a gym, didn't have clients, didn't have anything. And I don't know, man, like you said, describe that feeling that before you take that leap, it's like, you know, something's going to work. You have so much faith. Describe to me how you felt around that time. Yeah, just so much excitement. Like, you know, that's a funny thing. It's, I'm so glad it worked out because I've had other business, like people that I try to partner with and coach with. And you get some kind of shysty people that'll tell you they're going to do all this for you and it doesn't work out. So I got kind of lucky that this business coach, you know, was so helpful. And at the time, I was just though, you know, like, wow, like thinking about all the possibilities, what my life is going to be like, you know, and this, this and that. I can do this much more stuff with my YouTube videos and can finally not stuck to the nine to five. I wore basketball t-shirts all day long. All that stuff was going through my head. And 
just all around, I think I was looking forward to the, a, a new life. And like, again, lucky for me, it all worked out as promised. And here I am today, you know, doing what I love. And I, I'm sure you can attest to the same, you know, it's a good feeling to do what you love on, on a daily basis. I like that. Looking forward to a new life. That's, that's interesting. Probably one title that this podcast, something along those lines, they give you credit for it. But you <laughs> don't have a videographer, do you? Like you were doing a lot of this stuff on your own. Did that ever knock you? Did you ever think about hiring somebody out? Yeah, man. You know, I'm starting to try to work my way into doing more of that. I'm, uh, for the most part, a one-man show. I have a guy that's helping me with some social media stuff right now. A couple other people that help me with a few things. But for the most part, most of it I do. And I think part of it is because I'm kind of a control freak. And I have a certain way I like to have things done. And I'm just not even necessarily completely control freak either. Though I feel like I'm just like, I, le- I got to keep busy. If I'm not keeping busy, like, I just feel like worthless. Like, I got to be doing something. I think sometimes because of that, I take on more than I can handle. And I've also always come up with a lot of new ideas. So because of that, there's always so much to do. And so lately, I've been trying to, like, look at more people to kind of help out with little bits and pieces of the business. Like, okay, this I'm not very good at or this I'm not, I don't really like doing. And they could take this off my plate so I can really focus on the things that I'm good at and I can, you know, grow the business with more. That makes sense. And so at what point did you have two interesting questions coming up next that I'm interested in hearing? What point did you start monetizing on YouTube? What subscriber count? And what was that process like? As far as monetizing, like through YouTube or through? Through YouTube. Through YouTube. Uh, still on YouTube. Okay. We'll get to the, the program a little bit. So through YouTube, I think shortly after they started making it possible, I don't even remember, to be honest. And I was, I know I was kind of thinking about it. I was like, well, do I want to do this? Cause we'll just make, you know, subscribers not want to watch my stuff anymore. But I mean, as we know, pretty much everyone's got ads on their YouTube videos now. And I came to the realization that they're going to run ads on your videos either way. I think, I think if I remember correctly, it was like they would run ads regardless, but you could basically say, Hey, look, I want to get some money for it. They'll put more ads on it. So I just said, you know what? Well, might as well. And, and that's what I actually going back to how we we're talking about some of the hurdles that was one of the biggest hurdles for me was like trying to like say, okay, like when you look at basketball, like as something you really love, it's hard to like make money off of this. Like for, I don't know if a lot of people think that way, but I did. Like, I was like, I almost felt bad making money from basketball. And now I kind of look back and I'm like, that's silly. Like if you think about how many people that the people that really love what they do, they often make a lot of money doing it. But back then that was a hurdle. Like I was thinking like, should I monetize these ads? I almost felt like guilty about it, which I don't think you should, but that's the kind of the mindset I was in that then like, like basketball is something you should do for fun, not nothing you make money from. So it, it took me a lot of time to kind of get in that mindset of being as a business and a passion and that it can be both things. That's interesting. It's like a war between I need to eat, but I also want to keep doing what I love the way I've been doing it. And I went on kind of just, I'm getting over that too, charging. I know I need to charge now, but you know, I see for the most part, some people don't value as much what they don't pay for. And with you growing, I'm sure you had to charge to be able to give people the service that you wanted to give. So I don't know, like, it's interesting how you talk about you having to rewire your brain for some bad wiring that you had previously for whatever reason. Yeah, and that's actually interesting. Like, what was that last? I was going to say something about something you just said. I forgot already. I lost it. The wiring Uh, for your brain, like just having to rewire the thought process, the patterns that you had beforehand with accepting uh, money. Oh, yeah. Putting the money in. You know, I've 
I think everyone can say, like, with as much content as is there out there, like, you can learn almost anything for free. I should say, and, and there are certain things you're just not going to find for free on YouTube or whatever. But me personally, like, I've been into, like, some Facebook ads courses or different books and all this. And the one thing I've noticed is when you put a lot of money into something, you take it a lot more seriously because you have to justify to yourself that you put that money in. And I think it's the same as a basketball trainer. Like, look, if you want a kid that's going to come and work hard for you and is going to take it serious, he's either going to have to pay some decent money for the program or he's going to have to pay some decent money to train with you because at the end of the day, if he's only if he's getting it for free, I've had kids like for a while, like, oh, yeah, I'll come train you for free. Come on, I'll meet you at the gym 6 a.m. just to show me you, that you want it. If they pay ahead of time, guess what they're going to do? They're going to show up. They're going to be serious. They're going to feel like, okay, I put this money in. I got to, that's going to help them become a better player because if they put the money in, now they're forcing themselves, they're holding themselves accountable to come to the gym. And they're going to take every word you say that much more seriously and really take it to heart. And that's one of the big things that I've learned from myself buying things is that like, look, the same thing applies to these kids that you're trying to, you know, get better or even some adults, but willing to put the money in they're going to take it so much more seriously i like you know i actually just doing the 6 a.m workouts last week because of that same thing happened a guy he was like 30 minutes late one time didn't show up he's like you know what not anymore like somebody has to value the time the service because it's precious you know yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's funny exactly. you say that just on the cups of that so tell me like around 2014 man you got this nba commercial like i mean who con- how do you even get contacted for that <laughs> and how did that transpire? Oh, I guess that's kind of one of the perks. I think is like that's one of the things that makes me different than a lot of like the other skills trainers out there is that, you know, I do a little bit more of the street ball freestyle stuff and all that. So originally my main intent with doing stuff online was just to try to get more shows, get more gigs, stuff like that. So I have my Get Handles website, which is more like the program side of things, but I also have my Snake Basketball website. And on that website, it was basically more about the street ball freestyle, booking me for events types of things. and. Yeah, ESPN hit me up actually the year before to do a commercial. I had no idea it was even ESPN, though. They're like, are you available for a video shoot on this date? And this and that, and we went back and forth, and it didn't end up working out. But I didn't even know it was them. So fast forward the next year, and around December, I think it was, they started emailing me, and she put the girl that emailed me, she put in the bottom, ESPN. I'm like, this is really ESPN? So we went back and forth to emails a couple of times and I was like, okay, this is legit. Hooked it all up and went out to New Orleans and yeah, it was crazy. Absolutely crazy filming the commercial, but it was definitely worth it. Fun. Got to meet a lot of the NBA guys real quick. LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Paul George, all that. And definitely once my, at the time, my YouTube partner network, they were part, part of Yahoo when they caught wind of it uh, of the video that I made, they, the NBA was actually cool enough. They gave me the behind the scenes, like footage tapes so I could use it for any like promotional stuff I wanted to, which was awesome. And, and then my YouTube partner, they actually are partnered with Yahoo and they put their story on their blog website. And then Yahoo said, okay, this one's doing well. And they put it on the front page of Yahoo for like a day. And like everything just exploded on my website that day, my YouTube, everything I got, like never had on a day. I think I had like, $4,000 in sales like in one day it was like a nuts day and honestly my marketing wasn't even that great back then but yeah the whole ESPN experience was insane man so oh man so many different ways to go I'm sure the credibility definitely shot up like you said traffic shot up too but you earlier you talked about trainers who 
use NBA clips and people do it on Instagram. They do it on YouTube all the time. They take NBA footage and then they put their own footage over it. And I'm sure they're probably getting monetized for that too. Is that fair use or is that illegal? Because I know some guys who won't touch that, but guys do well when they do do it. Yeah, that's that, and that's a really, really interesting question, actually. For a little while, I dabbled, because I saw a lot of channels, like, doing that type of video. So I dabbled in it for a little while. I mean, I did, like, three or four videos where I actually just took the NBA footage right off the NBA's YouTube channel. And the views are pretty good on it. Not great for me, but the monetization it because of that. So I don't know, you know, there's some of these channels that will just use little clips here and there in the, in the mix of the whole thing. And the rest of it's just like actual person. Like if it was me, it'd be a bunch of me. And then just a few clips of NBA players, like for like 10, 20 seconds. So I don't know if they're getting hit by that too, but I ultimately, before that little period of time where I was doing the NBA footage, I wasn't doing it because I was afraid maybe my channel would get shut down. And ultimately, I tried it for a little bit and the, and the results weren't that great and I couldn't monetize. So I went back to not doing it because, you know, I don't want to risk my whole channel going down because you never know sometimes. I mean, have you seen some of these channels where they basically just take all the highlights from the games the night before and they'll put them on their channel? And people love their channels and a bunch of them got shut down. So I was like, man, I'm not, I'm not even going to mess with it because if you're trying to build a business and a career, sources of traffic, you can't afford to lose that you got to have it. So, you know, I kind of go back and forth on it because I do see some channels right now that are just blowing up. And according to the use of fair use law, supposedly if it's for educational purposes, they should be able to use it. But basketball and other niches, I've seen like one guy, he used like a Conor McGregor clip to talk about like motivation or something like that and mentality. And that video got shut down by him. And they said like, if you do too much more of this, we're going to shut your whole channel down. So I try not to mess with it. You know, for the people that are that are blowing up on it, hey, cool. You know, good for them. But I mean, at the same time, like, I can't help but wonder if some, at some time they're going to have a problem. You know, so that's my kind of two cents on that situation. That's interesting, man. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about the fair use law. Like, is there a certain amount of you said ten seconds? Like, is there a certain amount of time that you can use to use those videos? And I have a I have a synergy account and I haven't told many people this. I probably shouldn't say much, but I have a synergy account and I can't say that I didn't think about this, but come on, synergy, you have every game that's ever been played. And a part of me wanted to snip it and put like five, 10 seconds and do move breakdowns. Right. But like you said, man, that's muddy water possibly. And you never know. You're always at risk. If you do that, you definitely can't monetize, but you're also at risk of having it shut down. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I can't really say, you know, like you were saying, like, is 10 seconds too long? I, I, really, I really don't know. And, and that's kind of the problem is, like, I feel like it's your answer on it. And YouTube isn't super transparent about any of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of like a play at your own risk sort of thing. But, at, again, like, it seems like some of the channels that are doing it, the reward has been big because maybe they're not making ad money, but they're getting a ton of traffic to their website. But on the other hand, I don't know if it's going to get shut down. So it's... Yeah, it's like you said, it's muddy water. You you kind of got to see if it's worth the risk for you. Man, <laughs> that's interesting. That's, that's a gamble. It sounds fun right now, but once you start getting used to making money and getting traffic and it all goes away, I don't think it'll be worth it. But, I mean, you've shown you can be successful without it, so that's the even more interesting piece. Uh, a couple more questions I wanted to ask you, like – you're a one-man band, so how do you go through learning this stuff? I mean, you, you, you had to teach yourself lead pages, I'm assuming. You had to teach yourself how to integrate 
all the software with your website, you have a survey on your website. Do you learn, stop, do, learn, stop, do, or talk to me about that? So that's a great question, man. My business coach was a big help, kind of basics down for me, kind of helped me set all that up and kind of some of the basic integrations and knowing some of the processes and funnels and all that. But past that, yeah, I mean, once we've kind of parted ways, I've a knowledge junkie. Like I just try to soak in everything I can, you know, basketball, physical fitness, marketing, everything I can take in. So I'm always trying to find new ways to innovate, make things better, make things more efficient. So I'm always willing to try a new software tool, get a new training system, can find and find people that have been successful and, you know, see whose message really clicks with what I'm doing. One piece of advice I can give the people that are watching is there's a lot of like uh, broad marketing type books or books on like psychology. And I've definitely dived in, dove into them, but, and, and it'll help you. But what I would recommend, what I found the most helpful is to just find books that are super targeted or, or training programs that are super targeted to what it is that you're doing and stick with those. And then from there, maybe kind of go off into some of those other, you know, side tangents. But for me, there was a period of time where I was definitely doing more just doing. And then there was a period of time where I was doing just more learning and not doing nearly enough. And right now I've had this new philosophy for about this last year that I've been sticking with. And it's definitely been helping. It's basically, look, whenever I'm driving or I got a little bit of downtime or I'm just going to stretch or whatever the case may be, I use that time to just put more knowledge into my brain. And there was a period of time where I stopped doing it because I would get all these new ideas and I couldn't keep up with the ideas and it would kind of start to drive me nuts because I had like 200 reminders on my phone. Try this, try this, add this to your funnel. For a while I stopped doing that, but now I've kind of been in this mode where like, look, who cares if you don't, aren't able to implement everything? Just keep listening to this stuff because the more you listen to this stuff, it'll start to kind of become like second nature to you. And you don't have to think about doing so many of the things and you'll be in the middle of doing something like, oh yeah, I was supposed to do this. And it'll just kind of come in the flow. So that's like my thing that I've been doing is a lot of doing and a lot of learning at the same time. Don't be so worried about everything being perfect. Just try stuff out. When you get a new idea, just put it into action. And if it works, awesome. You learn something from it. And if it doesn't work, hey, you still learn something from it. And you can kind of take the pieces that are working and adjust the pieces that aren't. That's a good question. So what are some of the podcasts and books you read, audio books? What do you consume mainly? I'm big on YouTube. I watch a ton of YouTube. Russell Brunson's a marketing guy that I like watching a lot of his stuff. Big fan of him. I just like he's real down to earth kind of language style. And, you know, again, he's very, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I I'm love a fun I rock. Rock. <laughs> Yep. I rock. <laughs> he. And you know, it's funny because he's got us talking about like what he, he talks about building the culture, right? And here we are talking about what he does. And you know, it's like he, he's, he's got the shirt. I just I got, got mine. Hold got on. Expert secrets. I get it? Yeah, I got my black box. I got the black box. Oh, you box. got the black box too. Oh, how is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, all kinds of extra goodies, dude. Got the perfect webinar, funnel hacker black box, quick guide, secret. Yeah, dude, it's sweet. It's sweet. So I've been on a huge Russell kick. I think though I'm about done buying new stuff from Russell. I thank you, Russell. I love your stuff. But I bought his funnel immersion. That thing is loaded, dude. Everything in there is like everything he has is like in that pretty much. It's crazy yeah. that funnel immersion. But yeah, that I don't know. I got a whole stack of books here. I you know all kinds of books on athleticism, building speed, strength basketball training. You know, I watch a ton of YouTube videos. I actually don't do a ton of the podcasts. I don't, you know, I always like podcasts, but I just never 
for whatever reason. So Russell, actually, I listen to his Funnel Hacker podcast on, he puts it on YouTube. So that works great for me. Like I listen to it because it's on that mm-hmm. platform. It's weird. So maybe, you know, for anyone out there that's podcast and that's something to consider, maybe putting your stuff out on YouTube too. You know, he just puts like an image and we'll just put the audio over the top of it. Oh man, a ton of books, audiobooks. I'm huge on audiobooks because I don't always have time to sit down and read, right? So I love an audiobook because I can, you know, just listen to it as I'm going about my day or driving somewhere. So a lot of times, like, if I can get, like, my car doesn't have, or it does have an MP3, like, I can plug the MP3 in through my phone, but I like to have a CD. So I've been getting a lot of audiobook CDs from audio from Amazon. So when I get in the car, it just starts playing and I don't have to do anything, think about it, it just starts going. But audiobooks, a lot of training courses, some of the stuff from uh, Sam Carton, get can get 10,000 fans, Brian Moran. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah, I know Brian um, Moran. So- he had a pretty rough launch not too long ago, but he, he turned it around. And he went through his flaws and his faults. I'm not sure if you were there when he was just documenting that. But yeah, I yeah. like Brian. Yeah, yeah. I was actually uh, with Sam Carp while they were in beta, and definitely there were some bugs, and it feels like they kind of worked out a lot of those kinks, and they learned from their mistakes, and they had you know a, little, a few customer support things for a little while, but they definitely have turned it around, like you said, and, and I'm definitely happy I'm on their platform yet, and I've also got some of his Facebook ads courses and, and found those helpful. I mean, there's I could go all day on, on how much stuff and how many different things I'm trying to take in. That's interesting because I think I was listening to someone else and they said, you know, there's no such thing as information overload. If you're outputting and doing, then you should be good, right? And it's like the school, the ratio, they always said for every two hours you're in class or every one hour you're in class, you should spend two hours studying. And I don't know. I think you mentioned philosophies. I think I'm getting towards a philosophy where, you know, I have at least two hours of action for every hour that I study. I don't know. What would you say your ratio is or is it is it there no really ratio line? I don't know. Yeah, I would say I necessarily have a ratio. It's just more like me. Yeah, like you said, I, that's definitely the big thing, though, is like, I think information overload is a term that people use for people that don't take enough action. And the thing that ha- gives people that problem is they don't know how to prioritize, like, okay, or, or get excited enough about one thing to just do it. Like, either prioritize, like, this needs to be done, this, 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 or if you're listening to something, it's got to excite you enough that you go do something with it. But like you said, the doing, I think, is the big part. But yeah, I guess for me, I try to like maintain like the majority of my day for the most, I'm working. I'm trying to do stuff, create stuff. It's definitely been a big difference maker, I think. And then just, you know, whenever I have that free time, then I'm just feeding my mind with new stuff that I can implement because that'll help you get more ideas on how to do some new things, how to, you know, make what you're doing better, all that. So as you're going through the process and you're doing, I just find all that stuff is kind of like fueled on the fire to keep it going, keep it burning. I don't really guess look at it so much of, look, I'm going to you know spend this much time on this and this much time on this. But if I do get something new, like when the black box comes in or, or you know, whatever the case may be, you know, some kind of training program that I bought that's really expensive. Yeah, maybe I'll spend like two, three days. Okay, I'm just going to clamp down. I'm going to focus on this, learn this new skill and, you know, make sure I'm putting it into action. But action, I think, is the big problem with a lot of people. And I think that's where the term information overload comes in, because I think a lot of people Maybe they do get overwhelmed, but I feel like it's some degree it's kind of almost like an excuse to just get off your butt and start doing it or not not even necessarily being getting off your butt and doing it, but I think a lot of people just get scared. And that's one of the big things I think is to just when you see something new or hear something new or you get a new idea, just try it. Like everyone thinks like, oh, this will not work. My whole business is going to collapse. And that's just not the way it works. Like 
try stuff, experiment, you know, and, and see what it does for you. And if it doesn't work, oh, well, who cares? You can say, okay, well, that doesn't work. Thomas Edison said, I found a thousand ways that it wouldn't work before he created the light bulb. You're not going to find that big hit unless you're willing to go through a million things that don't work. I just don't think it, it would take something pretty foolish, some pretty foolish new idea to have your whole business collapse. So I feel like a lot of people should just be a little more relaxed, especially if you have a smaller business and say, hey, look, I'm going to try this out, see what happens. So it sounds like you've tried a lot of things that haven't worked but you found a few that <laughs> stuck and you keep running with them. <laughs> Definitely. And that's one of the things actually I've been kind of learning from Russell lately is a low price products just to kind of see what works, what doesn't, what people, what clicks and just to get a lot of smaller offers out there. So that's one of the things I've been doing a lot more. And then I think the other thing too, though, is again, kind of finding someone when you're finding training programs, find something that's real specific to what it is you, that you do. So for me, like a lot of stuff that Russell teaches, like, Oh, he's like in a similar industry and I can kind of like say, okay, this is what works for him. He's done it in multiple industries. He's, you know, been successful. If he says it works, I'm going to put this more higher up on my priority list and I'm going to give this a try. And that's definitely one of the things that's made a difference for me too, is just, you know, saying this is what does work for this person. It's, it's, they've proven it. Let's put this into place. And pretty much every time I've done that, that's been a home run. So Learn from the people that are that are real directly correlated business to you, I think, and take what you can from them and put it into yours. I mean, there's, again, to, to not do it is, at that point, I think that is just not getting off your butt. <laughs> yeah. So you, and this is an interesting question, I think the next one, you, not this one, the next one, you have all this Russell Brunson stuff, but you're using lead pages. What's that about? <laughs> yeah. So the reason for that is I got on the lead pages years ago and I just I haven't moved any of my stuff over because at, at the end of the day it kind of does serve the same purpose at least for like lead generation but I am looking at moving over to ClickFunnels for some more maybe like of like sales pages and things like that and also going forward possibly for some new you know opt-in pages and things like that because I've already had so much stuff set up on there from years before I really just got into Russell's stuff I'd say in this last year or so I do have a ClickFunnels account but I have I definitely haven't been using it as much as I should be I'm definitely going to look into jumping into more, some more of using that for some more stuff. Yeah, he, I, I mean, I, I've used both too. And, and Russell is, uh, he calls it low key pages. He's a really competitive dude. You know, he's a wrestler. A wrestler. <laughs> right. So I was just curious. I saw that when I looked at, see what you were using for these landing pages. But you mentioned he, he talks about low price products, testing things out. But you also mentioned, you know, people have to value what they give you is, your program's price at what, $130 it could be or $200. You can charge whatever you want to for it because there's a lot of stuff that you're offering, a lot of bonuses. And I see that value stack that you had, which I really liked. But what would you say is the reason, the thought process behind $20 for the product? You know, I just found that I wanted it to be affordable enough for some people to try it out and kind of like see, okay, like, look, his stuff's good. It's, he has some good uh, information, some good drills, good program. But on top of that, worth more than $20. Like I've checked out some other guys' programs. They would charge probably like $50, $60, $70 for that program. And the thought process behind it is I want people, this is something else I learned from Russell. He's like, look, when they buy expert secrets, I want them to be like, wow, more than what the free plus shipping I pay for. So I want it to kind of be that for people when they get it, like to see, okay, look, there's way more than $50 worth of content, especially if you've ever bought any other online training programs. I want people to be able to see that and say, like, in this for the money, he, like, really wants to, you know, give us some value and for what we put in. 
So going forward, if I do ask for a little bit more money for a program, they'll say, okay, look, Def's is going to give me my money's worth. He's going to put the value in. He's going to give me some good training. And honestly, even like some of my other programs for a while, I was offering them for like one I was putting up for $47 and there's like 151 drills in the thing. And if you compare that to like some of these guys, they'll put out like 20 drills in a program and they'll charge you 30, 40 bucks. So I think that's the main reason for the $20 is just to kind of set the tone for like going forward. Like, look, I'm going to hook you up. I'm not I'm just out here to take your money. I literally want you to get better. I really want you to get better. And I really want to make sure you see that I'm not just, you know, here to take money and not give anything in return. I want to give you more than what you expect. Right. So one last question before I ask this next one. You obviously spend a lot of time on YouTube. I mean, it's been about, I think, 10 years overall or six years of you really focusing in and doing that, you know, almost full time. How long did it take you to, you know, learn how to do the right copy, get the email automation set up, uh, learn how to target the right people and retarget them? Like how long did all that stuff take to piece together to where you're not afraid that if you send traffic to it, nothing's going to fail? There's no bugs. Yeah. Well, I definitely haven't mastered all those things. Like I, I don't I don't think anyone has, because you can always, you know, try to boost the conversion at every level and you can always write better copy. And, and there's always gonna be some bugs. Like I still miss stuff here and there. I think a lot of it is I've been doing this about yeah, probably about four or five years. I'd say to get to the point where I could get to that level of feeling comfortable with it. But yeah, I think a lot of it is, is just going you know, the more you go through the process, it becomes more automatic. Like it's crazy to me now, like it used to take me like a week, two weeks to put out a program, three weeks, actually probably like a month now that I think about it between filming, editing, all that, probably a month, sometimes in a bigger program, like two, three months, programs in like a week, less than a week. Like it's crazy. Like once you know the process and you've kind of streamlined it, and you know what works, what doesn't work and all that stuff. And you kind of like, even like graphics, like I'm a lot better on Photoshop now, I'm a lot better at editing. Like the more you do this stuff, it's just like, okay, I know what I'm doing. I do this, I do this, I do this. For me, computer, you know, you start to get our yes. over. You're it's automatic, right? And I think doing it a lot. So I think for me, it took like four or five years. But I think I wish I would have done a lot more, like a bunch of low price products, real quick when I got started, because I think then everything would become a lot more automatic, and you could kind of speed up that four or five year process and maybe cut that in half. Nice, and that's I'm all about speeding the process. I know a lot of people want to not take shortcuts, but Learn a decade in a day. I think Tony Robbins says that. Yeah. Get all the wisdom in as little time as possible. So who does Ball, Ball on the String program is, is the name, correct? Ball on the String. Who does that serve most? Who are you trying to target with that program? Really, I wanted that program to be something that can benefit anyone of all levels. So it's going to kind of approach it, it different depending on your level of ability. But the whole idea behind the program is to maximize your ball control, which basically means having a high ball in hand time. So each time you dribble the basketball, it should be in your hand for as long of a period of time as possible. And then being comfortable, you know, moving the ball in different hand positions and all areas around your body. So for the more advanced type of players, like the program starts kind of more basic to kind of hit the more beginning side of things. So the beginners can kind of latch on it and get the right mechanics down and maximize ball in hand time, get comfortable with the basketball around them anywhere around their body. But as you go along, the drills are going to get more difficult more advanced types of players but then on top of that the drills i have some unique drills in there that kind of will maximize that like i said maximize the ball on hand time like in a way that no other program does and kind of refine your mechanics so even those more advanced players can get even all the way back down to the basics a more a maximal ball control 
maximum ball and hand time, maximum control of the basketball, all areas that are on the body, and, you know, maybe work on some of those areas that they've been overlooking as well going along that progression of drills. So basically, beginner up to advanced to kind of give them, again, that foundation because the ball control is I always tell players for if you want to be a good ball handler you have to have great footwork but that footwork isn't worth anything if you can't control the basketball so if you can get that foundation of good ball control then you can start working on your speed you can start working on your footwork you can start working on bringing all those other pieces in there if you have the ball control right you know now it's just a matter of bringing the ball along for the ride when you're doing your moves and you're doing your footwork and whatever the case may be and you can rely on it so winded answer to to basically say hey it's it's for everybody that's interesting like the the first concept you teach you call it the ball to hand time i think my coach used to call it uh no airspace so okay yeah I, I told somebody i told somebody about that and they're like oh i didn't even know that so if you have like nuggets like that then i know this program is is legit because to be frank initially i thought okay this is just for street ball players but when i looked at your page no, these are actual basketball players who play high school who are playing middle school and they want to just have a tighter handle. So it's not just for street ball players. Are you finding that you have to get over that stigma of this is just freestyle versus this is legit? Yeah, to some degree. And I, like we talked about earlier, a lot of my earlier stuff that I'd done was more street ball freestyle geared. And even from time to time, I'll sprinkle some of that on my YouTube. And you can see bits of it even in my marketing and my funnels. But there's a few people that do kind of think that it is more street ball, but honestly, 100%, the idea behind the program when I made it was strictly, I should say strictly fundamental, but almost 100% fundamental. I mean, it'll definitely, it's more into street ball that wants to get a tighter handle, but the program is geared to get all your basic moves, you know, mastered, you know, more the fundamental side of thing mastered. And then near the end, it gets a little bit, you know, more advanced, complicated, flashy, but for the most part, it's, yeah, definitely geared towards that. For sure. And you can't beat that at all, man. So I'm going to make sure that I spread the word as much as I can about the program. But I'm sure you are converting at, I think I, saw, I didn't see the stat. I don't remember the stats for Facebook comments and the shares, but it looks like everything is going well, at least on the Facebook platform. I didn't see how Instagram was doing, but I mean, how was the ad spin going? How was all that? Yeah, it's going good, man. You know, honestly, I, I wasn't sure with, when I put put the program out there how the Facebook ads, how it would convert because it was a little bit higher price. Typically before that, I was trying to do more lower price programs. But part of that, what helps is the majority of what I've been doing is mostly for falling a string anyway, is more of a retargeting campaign for people that have come to the website. So that definitely helps when you have a more warm audience that have seen some of your stuff. But more of like the other programs, like where I'll just put them to like lower price program or just an email opt-in list. Those I've typically done a little bit more to like cold traffic and those have converted pretty well. Also, the idea basically is to kind of like get a few people more cold traffic on lower price products and email opt-ins for more of the cold traffic. And then once they're on the website, now I can retarget them for the ball on a string. So that makes the conversion rate a lot, you know, profitable, makes it work out a lot better. If you have more of a warm audience, you don't have to put quite as much in ad spend for them to, to say, okay, yeah, this program's legit. I trust Jesse. I'll buy it. So that's definitely one tip I can give some people out there that are trying to like work on some of the ads that helped me. But I, I know some guys out there that they'll go to cold traffic with some high price products and they, they'll make it convert. But that's one thing I haven't mastered yet that I'm still working towards. Yeah. That's what Russell says is like separates the seven to the eight. I mean, you're already killing it. So the fact that you know people who are doing that 
they must be like at the tippy top of the game. You so that's that's a really smart. You are converting the cold traffic into an email, not into a product or not into a sale, but you're converting them into an email. And then, like you said, you save money just by retargeting and not throwing too much money, uh, too much of a budget towards them. So I didn't think about that. I mean, that's a good strategy. Save money. Yeah. And I mean, again, if, if you got your copy right and you really know what you're doing, I mean, you could probably do the same thing right to cold traffic to the higher product. Again, this is something that I, I haven't got to that level yet, yet and, and got to work on some conversions, I guess, on, on some of those pages and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that, that I'm looking to do at one point. Because like you said, like Russell said, you know, that's where, where the big growth is at. All right. So for the program, where can we all find it and how can we learn more about you? Yeah, so if you want to find out a little bit more about, I would highly encourage everyone to hop in. Just go to gethandles.com, pop in your email. I'll send you a free workout. But then on top of that, you'll get some emails from me that kind of tell you a little bit about my story, tell you about, you know, how I met some different MBA guys and kind of how I got to where I'm at with and some of the struggles I went through to try to become a better ball handler and also get a, an offer to get ball in a string for, for that $20. Normally it's $50 right now. And even at that $50, I feel like compared to, again, to some typical programs out there, that's a steal. But if you get on that new subscriber discount, you get it for 20 bucks and that's a crazy good deal. <laughs> so that's basically where you can get free program, find out all about me and get an offer for, for the program for, for pretty cheap. Coach Jesse, I appreciate your time, man. Thanks for so much uh, value that you shared on this podcast. I know my trainers, uh, the, the audience, the skill developers are going to appreciate it. And hopefully man, everything continues to run well for you. Appreciate it, man. Hopefully I didn't babble too much once I get talking about this stuff. No, nah, man. The mouth just <laughs> No, nah, that's fine. I had to, I tried to cut it short because I know I would keep asking you questions, but uh, no, thanks again for the time, man. No, I appreciate it. And I, I hope I hope I could help some of the guys out there that are trying to get started. And uh, to anyone out there that's trying to put in the time ahead of time, it's worth it. It's worth it once you go full time, as I'm sure you can attest to. Thanks for tuning in to Basketball to Business Podcast. If you like what you heard, go ahead and follow me on Instagram and Snapchat at my son jones and if you are not like me and don't need to burn all bridges quit your day job and only bank on a plan a and you want to make some money on the side by doing basketball training check out www.hoopsinstitute.com and sign up for a free 30-day trial until next time and remember you are not alone in your journey to reach your dreams